Women in Business Leadership with Ruby Smith. So, uh, firstly, thank you, Ruby, for joining us this afternoon. Uh, really appreciate it. This is the first in the Women in Business um, Leadership series. Um, can you just tell us a little bit about yourself? Yeah, of course. Um, so, my name's Ruby Smith. Um, I um, am the NHS Director at the Princess Trust, so that's my my day job. Um, by night, I'm um, mum to a one-year-old. Um, um, yeah, so by, by night and in the evenings and early mornings, that's my job. Um, yeah, and that's, I guess, my, where I'm at now in, in my life is NHS Director and mum. Lovely. Um, I'm just going to ask a couple of questions about leadership in general. Um, the first question is, what have, you, what have been your greatest challenges in leadership and how did you overcome them? Oh, that's a good question. Um, I think I think probably some of my greatest challenges in leadership came quite early on in my career, probably um, in jobs where my job title didn't sound like a, a leadership job, um, where I was in relatively like entry level jobs, but still trying to lead from a position without um, lots of authority. Um, and I think that is something I'm always still really conscious of now um, in more senior jobs is people trying to lead um, when they when they don't have the same kind of level of um, yeah authority that I might have in, in a more senior position and I think some of the the challenges there are um, some of the biggest challenges that I faced were trying to change things really and I think that's always a massive leadership challenge trying to change anything um, but I think, I think changing systems and processes is hard, but nowhere near as hard as changing hearts and minds. And quite a few of my early career jobs, um, I was trying to change in quite big organisations the way people thought about things. Um, and and I, the reason I think that's quite often difficult is because always, no matter how you approach that, there's a... Um, a sense of that you're criticising what's gone before if you're trying to change something um, and and that naturally um, gets a, a kind of resistance response from people and people sometimes feel hurt or criticised by change and I think it's one of the things that's quite often, often overlooked is um, you know people talk about change resistance as though people are just being difficult and I think um, one thing I learned quite early on is change resistance and a massive leadership challenge is overcoming change resistance is um recognizing why people are resistant to change and largely my belief is not that it's because people don't like things changing or don't want things to change or want to be difficult or want things to stay as they've been before it's that that change um infers criticism and that's hurtful um, and often scary for people so being able to lead through um, people feeling fear um, has always been a challenge in my career but is probably one of the biggest ones I think that I've um, faced throughout nearly every job I've done. Thank you I'm just if I can just pick up on a, on a couple of things that that you've said there and, and I think one of them the first one for me was about authority can you just expand on what you mean when you say the word authority? Um, 
it's a good question. I don't know if I know myself. I think, I suppose the reason for saying it is I believe in like situational leadership. So even now as a, as a senior leader, I don't think I should be leading all the time. I think there are times where I should sit down and be quiet and listen to somebody else who might be um, by, if you looked at an org chart, they're less senior to me. If you looked at pay grades, they're less senior to me. But that doesn't mean that when it comes to skill or knowledge or expertise the less senior to me um, and I think like typically in organisations authority tends to come through an org chart so um, I know in my job now you know if I if I compare my job now to kind of some of my first jobs if I say I want things to be way ABC it happens quite quickly now whereas um, you know in a more junior job um, I would have had to get through a lot more system process and approval and that's because in my current job I've got authority I've got permission that comes with my job title really um, and my position in the organization um, which I think is um, a really challenging thing to to try and overcome to allow um, leadership to happen as it should which I think is situationally which is whoever is at that moment in time the best person to lead should be the person leading irrespective of how much they're paid or um what the job title says or what kind of permissions and authority come with the the role they've got in the organization so when you found yourself you said you know before i potentially didn't have the authority how did you overcome that particular set of circumstances um, probably by talking a lot, I think, um, talking a lot and um, taking quite a, I, I think I take a combination of like a um, very disciplined and also very relaxed approach to work. So when I'm having a conversation with somebody, I try and take a really relaxed approach to work and make it really human and not um, stifled by kind of lots of the normal workplace etiquette that I think sometimes gets in the way of building meaningful work relationships um, but then at the same time being really disciplined and organized in actually I don't know why I'm having this conversation and ultimately where I need to get to with you as an individual person to try and um, change your mind so that you can use some of your positional power to help the um, the things that I'm trying to do as a very junior leader in this organization but I think yeah probably a lot of talking um a lot of friend making but behind that quite a smart plan and a lot of discipline in moving that forward can I, if I just bounce this back to you and just so that you know so that I, I might have understood it correctly is that it sounds as though you're saying, um, and these are my words, not yours, that, you know, having the mandate, but also um, having the skills to be able to, it sounds like you're a gatekeeper and, you know, we're opening a door and facilitating in some way. And you've talked about, you've talked about situational leadership and the best person who's placed to lead at that point in time. And that's irrespective of, you know, like you say, you, you know, an org chart. Yeah, absolutely. And I think one thing that um, I hope I still do, but I definitely know I did early on in my career, which I think helped kind of develop my leadership skills is making a point of I will always talk out of turn. I'll talk when I think it's not my um, place to, because um, I think for as long as 
people don't do that you don't increase that kind of mandate you don't increase and expand your sphere of influence in an organization if you if you're always waiting for when you according to the kind of hierarchy or whatever should speak um, or should contribute your ideas so um yeah yeah I, th I think the way you've paraphrased it probably is far more articulate than than, than i could it also sounds like you're talking about courage and bravery as well yeah i think so um it's yeah i i, I think it's a bit about courage and bravery but i i do think when i look back to some of my earlier jobs when i stuck my head above the parapet and it's still when i do that now um i think it's um I've never felt like I've had much of a choice of whether to to be to be brave or courageous. It's just like, you know, if if you're gonna do your job, you've got to speak now. It's like speak now or and and I think it's something that um probably like I learned from my parents really. I always I'm from being a little kid, I was like a bit of a ranter. Um and my mum and dad would always say to me, like, I'll sit and listen to you if you tell me what you're going to do. So don't just complain about how this is not fair. Tell me what you're going to do about it. Um, and, I, and I think so many people do that in the work life. They come home at the end of the day, sit down with the family member or the friend and complain about the day that they've just had and how the colleague did or didn't do this or the organisation did or didn't do that. And, and I never want to do that. I always want to be saying yeah this is difficult but this is what i'm doing and and i think um yeah it's less about kind of um being brave and more about just um doing my job what i always saw was my job which is to just do the thing that i see in front of me that i think needs fixing yeah that i mean i, I think it's I, I think it's a good way of looking at it as being your job but it also sounds as though there's there's some value based and integrity in there as well yeah, probably. I hope so. <laughs> um, so the other thing that you, you, you mentioned when we talked about your greatest challenges was um, actually being aware and recognising that change can be, um, or, the, or the resistance to change can be fear driven. Um, so can you just tell us a little bit more about that and also how, so how do you get, how do you work with that? How do you start to work with knowing that it's it's such an emotionally provocative um, that change is emotionally provocative? Mm. Um, yeah. So I think um, I think the way to work with it, I guess the main thing is acknowledging it um, and 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 um, it's a good question. I don't know that I've got a, a, a kind of smart answer to it, if I'm honest, but I think, um, I think recognising that work is not an emotion free space is so important. And, and I think as somebody who's really quite a passionate person and I'm always passionate about my work, um, I, I think I probably started off quite early in my career thinking kind of passion is fine in work, but anything else kind of leave it at the door because we just need to crack on and do a job here. And then found myself wondering why 
um things that i thought like you know some changes thinking for one of my first jobs working in quite a big organization and there were changes that to me seemed so obvious and so right and so needed and I just didn't understand why everybody wasn't like jumping up and down and saying yes let's do this this is amazing this is brilliant and um and you know straight away going to that same passion place um and and then I think you know when I recognized actually it's because people um, might feel kind of worried about this change um, and and also yeah criticized by it and fearful of what it means for the future um, that then I think the only way to approach that if you know anybody like if you strip it back to its most basic you're working with somebody who's feeling fear the only human thing to do is be compassionate um, and I think then if you start take that first step of any conversation any change process being about compassion um, being about transparency honesty openness um, and and also about appreciation so always giving due recognition to what work's gone before because um again as somebody who likes change i think quite often i can be quite dismissive of like what's gone before was rubbish now here's my amazing new idea I would have never had my amazing new idea if I'd have not seen what went before. So what went before, even if I didn't like it, was absolutely necessary to being able to progress to the next things. So you've got to have appreciation for foundation, even if the foundations aren't golden, um, you know, even if they're a bit bad, it, there's still got to be, it's necessary to be appreciative of them, I think. Um, and that allows people, I think, then to um, feel recognised and, also feel supported if they're feeling worried about change I think I don't know if that makes sense yeah no it makes perfect sense and I think if if I if I were to try to summarize that I'd say that you've said appreciate what's gone before acknowledge the emotion um, and actually become aware of it yourself um, but then also demonstrate compassion for that as well so make space and make room room for those emotions yeah thank you um so the question two it's often said many people underestimate their abilities what do you believe holds people back oh that's a good question um, i think the first thing that jumps to my mind is um like imposter syndrome you know I think lots of people talk about that and I think imposter syndrome holds loads of people back um for sure and um and I guess the for me um everybody is an imposter I am you know and I think everybody is and I think if you recognize that um actually if if anybody is sat like at the end of the day thinking I'm perfect at my job. I couldn't have done anything today better than I did. Um, I've got no room for improvement. I am the finished article. Well, like I'm more concerned for them than I am for the person who feels like they're a bit of an imposter at work. Um, and I'd much rather feel a bit of an imposter than feel overly um, assured in that I'm doing everything perfectly. I think the kind of art is being comfortable with what you don't know um and that you need to improve and that you need to learn and that you're not quite the finished article and that's all true and it's all 
also absolutely fine. I think that's the um, balance. But I think as well, you know, the thing about, you know, people under, I think you said people um, underestimate their abilities. And I do think that's true. I do think that people underestimate their abilities. But for me, I, at work, um, I think it's less about my ability. So when I when I think about, um, you know, something that needs doing or something that needs achieving, it's less a question of, um, am I able to do it? Do I have the ability? But it's more about if it's my responsibility, irrespective of my skills and abilities, I've got to find a way to do it. Um, and often I might not have the ability, but if I don't have the ability, then do I have the network? Um, if I don't have the network, do I have the funding? If I don't have, you know, and, and I think that's, it's not necessarily a, about ability always, it's about responsibility and taking responsibility for doing things and ultimately saying, okay, I'm responsible for, for this and I'm going to make it happen irrespective of my personal kind of technical abilities. Um, I'm just going to do it through kind of a process of if not this then that if not that then this um because not you know i think it's almost like a fact that as abilities do always hold us back because we're not all endlessly able and that's fine again i think um, there's a couple of things in there as well that you that i would say that i can hear is that it's fine to be to be vulnerable. I mean, I know both you and I are Brene Brown fans, um, you know, in terms of that, you know, bringing that vulnerability that you may not have all the skill, you may not have all the experience, but you can be assured that you can find it somewhere and it may be with somebody else. And that also, I think for me, when I'm thinking about that, that, that also kind of fires up the idea of, of in leadership, the need to be to be generous as well um, and, and open to what other people bring that you might not be able you might not be able to bring like you say that you know there are you know there are some things that we just that we just don't that we don't possess mm -hmm. yeah and, and I think as well probably the other thing I'd add on that is I think quite often and I know I have been and I think lots of other people are kind of held back by either fear, fear of failure or fear of embarrassment um, and I think um there that's completely rational again to be scared of failing and to be scared of looking stupid um, and i think for me one of the things that i try to do and i don't do this perfectly but is to just accept i will fail and i will embarrass myself and um, but i would yeah this just gonna happen <laughs> and, yeah. you know so, and if it does I'll just have to find a way to bounce back. And it depends how deep that embarrassment or failure is in terms of how long it takes to bounce back and how much it hurts when it happens. But um, if you accept it as inevitable instead of trying to avoid it, I think, um, yeah, that makes just, it makes it a bit easier. Yeah, absolutely. So, and I think you, you've already alluded to it anyway, when you said, um, you know, like, you know, not to do the armouring up and, you know, I've got this, I've got this people, it's, you know, it's all going to be fine. When in actual fact, you might have got, a, a, you know, a, you know, an ocean full of resources at your fingertips, but actually you're, you know, you, you start to close yourself off rather than, rather than open yourself out. 
Right, lovely, thank you. Um, so question three, imagine you've been invited Absolutely. to give a TED talk. Um, what would be your key messages as a leader? Um, I think if I was giving a TED talk, I would want it to be about the importance of bringing um, an open mind and an open heart to work. And I think both are equally important. Um, I think it's probably quite widely recognised that a, an open mind is a virtuous thing in work, being open-minded to different ideas, to different people, to um, being open-minded to being wrong, to being challenged. Um, but I think equally important is having, having a, an open heart. And I think by that, what I mean is um, being... Um, open to feeling at work um yeah being open to to feeling things um and they might be kind of nice or not nice feelings it might be feelings of kind of um of like love and passion and empathy and or they might be feelings of frustration and heartbreak and disappointment um and and I think it's so important to recognise that um, feeling is a part of leading and that you will and should feel things and so should all the people around you. And, and that um, allows people to be the whole self at work, allows you to be whole self at work. And I think for me, it allows me to not feel like I'm compartmentalising my life into um, my life and then work. They are the same thing. Um, there's some element of compartment, you know, compartmentalising that you want so that you're not thinking about work 24-7, but that, that I'm not a different person when I'm at work, I'm still me. And um, and that I allow myself to to feel at work. And I think it's um, really important that people give themselves that permission and give it to other people as well. How do you think that that's... Um allows the people around well not allows i'm gonna that allows the wrong word enables people around you um i think um that's a really good question i think you know for sure for me it allows enables whatever the the right kind of phrase is um It gives people permission to to be honest i think um so i think you know far too often and everybody knows this you read an email and you know what somebody's felt underneath it you can see from the words that there's feeling there but the feelings you know it's almost like you're not allowed to say the feeling so instead you've got a passive aggressive email or um or you know um particularly you know my line of work at the moment working for Prince's Trust there's so much of our work that's so highly emotive and people might feel um bursting with pride when they see the achievement of a young person that they've been working with and what a gift to let them show that at work to be part of it to share it with them to share it with the colleagues that instead of just kind of feeling that work's not a space where you can have a happy cry um or um where you can show off your achievements because you feel really proud of yourself um that 
you know it's such it's sad to think that we'd miss out on that for each other and for ourselves just because we kind of um make work this overly professionalized space where it's not okay to talk about feelings or, or feel them or share with them um, instead just kind of try and contain it in an email um that just never conveys the reality of life i don't think or its fullness so well, i mean it, it it sounds as though you're saying that if we go if you know if, if, we're, if we're going to have an emotional workplace then that allows for the expression of all emotions as well so rather than the emotional numbing in the workplace let's let it be emotionally expressive so that then you can you get to experience the joy you might also feel and hear the disappointment but you can't have one without the other in its full bloom absolutely i think you know one of my favorite phrases um that I, I don't remember who I learned it from um, is you can't selectively numb so if you numb one thing you numb you just numb everything you can't you can't selectively numb and, and I think that's true in life as a whole so I think if we ask people to numb at work that numbs them a bit at home as well you know if um, and so that's why I think it's important and you can't say you know excitement's okay at work but sadness isn't um, it's all got to be all right and yeah because it's a, a fact of life and yeah and I, th I think is um such an important thing for leadership I, I hope so much for organizations in the future that you know in whether it's 10 or 20 years time that it's just so much more commonplace for people to be like the true selves at work and to be able to um and, and I think for people to be able to be the true selves, everybody needs to have both an open heart and an open mind. Um, I think they're just like fundamentals to allowing people to be the, the true self and the whole self at work. Thank you. So what would you do tomorrow if you woke up and you were able to dramatically change without fear um, leadership culture and whether that's in your organisation or in your whole leadership experience um what would you yeah. do um so i think um from all my experience across every organization i've ever worked with if there's one thing that i could change about leadership culture it would be um to change the kind of um to remove competition from leadership culture um, because I think it's, you know, I'm a big Margaret Heffernan fan and I think all her work around um, some of the negative impacts of competition and, and also some of the incredible benefits of collaboration and, um, and kind of celebrating each other and building on what's good. Um, I think, you know, my work philosophy is absolutely one of that appreciative inquiry instead of just looking for what's wrong or comparing one team to another team to see who's performing better or one person to another person and um, just look for what's good and share that shine a light on that allow people to be inspired by that rather than scared by a comparison to another person or another team um, and i think i i, I honestly think it's a phenomena is such a, an interesting and strange thing when you look across 
it's every and I don't think it's even limited to workplaces I think you can see it in friendship groups in families everywhere uh, that people's natural inclination is to be competitive even when it serves no good purpose for anybody involved um and and I I mean personally I just find competitive environments quite stifling I don't find them inspiring um and and I think that would be one of the things that I'd I'd want to change if I could um if I could change leadership culture across any organization I've ever worked with that would be the thing I'd do a change competitiveness to collaboration thank you um, and yeah, I think you've also said there as well about about generosity between your colleagues as you know as well like to bring more generosity you know that and and one of my you know one of my favorites is getting it right is so much more important than being right, and that means losing ego and and all of those kind of things um, so finally, what advice would you give to your younger self so seven year old Ruby? Oh, good question. Seven year old. Um, that's such a good question. I don't, I don't know. I don't know if this is a cheat answer and I don't know if it sounds a bit um, tacky almost, but I honestly don't know. I would give my younger self any advice. I think um, I'd just give myself encouragement to do whatever it, I think you know if if I look back of course if I look back to my younger self whether I'm seven or ten or eighteen or twenty five um, there's things that I did that um, probably weren't very smart there's things that I thought that probably weren't very helpful um, and there's things that I know now that I obviously didn't know then of course but um, but I don't know that I'd give myself any advice I was just almost like put my arm around myself and say you're doing fine you know this is just even if it's wrong even if you're doing things that are a bit daft now um, even if you're doing things that you'll know better in future that's just what you need to be doing right now um, and I'm sure now you know I'm 30 now I'm sure I'm still making loads of mistakes doing loads of things wrong and given another five or ten years I'll have hopefully anyway a bit more um, wisdom um, but but I don't know that I can know it now I don't know even if somebody told you know even if somebody told it me now um that I'd be able to hear it it's just kind of you have to live it don't you and learn as you go so I suppose tacky answer would be I wouldn't give myself any advice I don't think um and I, I do think I believe that people can't hear advice I don't know that there's ever a virtue in it I, I don't know that anybody at any even in not in that kind of hypothetical scenario of giving your younger self advice obviously you literally can't do that but people give each other advice like constantly and I, and I don't know that it ever really helps I don't know that anybody can <laughs> that often ever really hear advice as it's intended anyway I mean every now and then you know you find a nugget in it but then even then your own brain adapts it to be something else that fits your life your what you're thinking um yes yeah, so i think i'd just give myself encouragement if that's if i'm allowed to do that it's a cheap yeah. answer no no absolutely not a cheap answer i think it's a beautiful answer um and i think you absolutely well, you know you know my sentiments on advice um 
and and it and it, and it always reminds me of uh, like my, you you know my favourite films Wizard Wizard of Oz, and in the final lines, um, you know Glenda the Good comes down and says, you know you've you've had it all all along. You've always been able to get out. Um, and they said, well, why didn't you tell her? And she said she had to find it for herself. Um, you know, me telling her would never have, you know, she wouldn't have experienced what she's experienced and learned what she's learned if I'd have told her right at the beginning. I mean, she, Glenda didn't babble on like I am doing. <laughs> but she definitely <laughs> told the story of, uh, you know, of the fact that, you know, she'd got the power and, uh, you know, all the, all the way through. Um, but you know she had to learn it for herself, and so I think that's I think that's a, a, a beautiful a beautiful um, ending to our to our interview. So thank you very much today, Ruby. Really, really appreciate appreciate all the time, and I mean because obviously we have gone on quite a bit longer than we thought we'd go on as well. Um, so thank you. No, thank you for having me.